You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. These social structures, they, they all function based on the variables of, of race, of gender, of uh, sexuality, of gender identity, expression, current economic status. They can be based on ability or age or education or ethnicity, uh, religion, uh, a person's criminal record, even more. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 257 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our title this week is Jesus from the Edges, and our feature text is Matthew 9.13, but go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come not to call those you call righteous, but those you call sinners. Now, in a previous series, we've discussed how uh, people in Jesus's society use the labels of righteous and sinner to uh, politically, socially, economically, and religiously gain power and privilege for themselves uh, and to marginalize and exploit those who are vulnerable. Um, If you're looking for where we've discussed this at length in the past, you can go to uh, the podcast, The Law coin or the east side article the lost coin or uh, the one solidarity with the crucified community i'll put links to both of these in this week's east side this week i want to build on this idea in that society how well a person conformed to popular interpretations of the torah it determined where they fell on a spectrum between righteous on one end and sinner on the other or clean on one end and unclean on the other and the more righteous or pure one was deemed to be the more their society centered them and they they were they were more privileged they had power that they, they were the elite and two groups in the sanhedrin that that competed for power were the sadducees and the pharisees the Sadducees interpreted the Torah more conservatively than the Pharisees did, and this made conforming to their interpretations much more difficult. And in many cases, their definition of righteous was only viable to those who had the economic means to conform, those that had enough money who could afford to live the way the Sadducees deemed as being pure. And this ensured that the Sadducees, they were the ones that remained in power. They were uh, uh, the ones that were the elite under the guise of fidelity to the the, the Torah. And the second group, the Pharisees, the the Pharisees were much more, they were much more liberal in in interpreting the Torah. And this made them much more popular with the masses, with the people. Under the Pharisees' teaching, it was much easier to be righteous and to avoid being labeled a sinner and and thus being marginalized, though there were those that still, that was done to. The, The Pharisees were the the popular interpreter, interpreters of uh, the teachings of Moses. They were the ones that were uh, in favor by the majority of the people. And that, that that favor by the masses, it gave them social power. Yet remember, they also preserved their position as the ones who, who set the standard of clean or unclean. So though they opened it up uh, to more people and therefore are more popular, they still remained in control. They were still in, in, in the driver's seat. And 
this was a social, political, economic, and religious system that produced both winners and losers. Uh, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, though there were more winners under the Pharisees, there were still losers in both. And in this context, we see an itinerant Jewish teacher from Galilee named Jesus uh, uh, emerged in this context. And he stood apart from, from both schools of interpretation. And, and he came preaching a gospel where the kingdom belonged to those who had been left out by both the Sadducees and the Pharisees' determination of who was righteous. So with this in mind, read carefully the, the following passages. The first one is Luke 5, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Matthew 9, 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. In Luke 14, 13, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Mark 2, 15 through 16, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And lastly, Luke 19, 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Today in the U.S., our system also creates winners and losers. And politically, we too have, have, have two parties that compete for popular approval while gaining power in a system that still both of these parties privileges the elites. Economically, our, our system produces enormous wealth disparity, and those who, who have not, um, they're the natural result of, of in this system of creating those who, who have. And, and socially and religiously, we have complex systems that create an us versus them worldview, and 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 we label those who are in, and we label those who are out. And these social structures, they they all function based on the variables of of race, of gender, of uh, sexuality, of gender identity, expression, uh, current economic status. Um, they can be based on ability or age or education or ethnicity, uh, religion, uh, a person's criminal record, even more. Our interconnectedness, our, our part of one another, is continually being ignored. We're being divided and separated from one another. We're, 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 our differences from one another are being used to divide us. And rather than seeing every person's difference, uh, their differences as a, a testament to the rich variety that we possess as a human, human family, um, we use those differences to, to other in, in ways that, that label some, like in, in, in Jesus' society, as, as righteous or as insiders or, and others as sinner or as outsiders. And those of us whose differences place them in a minority category, 
they're still members of the human race, still part of us. And what does it mean for a Jesus follower then to take seriously Jesus's solidarity with those that are relegated to the margins or the undersides of, of, of his society? How can we take that seriously? How can we live out that kind of solidarity in our context today? What does it mean to stand and, and to work alongside those who, who, who are being pushed to the edges of our, our society? In the 1960s and the 1970s, Christians developed a a keen awareness of Jesus's solidarity with those that were labeled as outsiders, oppressed or marginalized and exploited. And this emergence, this awareness uh, was global. In South America, Latin liberation theology was born. In North America, there were other liberation theologies, such as, as black liberation theology, feminist theology, Amerindian theology, womanist theology. And, and queer theology arose. And, and in the East, Asian theologies of liberation were, were born too. Gustavo Gutierrez, he, he comments on the importance of this rising consciousness. He writes, Black, Hispanic, Amerindian theologies in the United States, theologies arising in the complex content context of Africa, Asia, and, and the South Pacific, and especially the fruitful thinking of those who have adopted the feminist perspective, all of these have meant that for the first time in many centuries, theology is being done outside the customary European and North American centers. The result in the so-called first world has been a new kind of dialogue between traditional thinking and new thinking. And additionally, outside, sorry, in addition, outside the Christian sphere, efforts are underway to develop liberation theologies from Jewish and Muslim perspectives. We are thus in the presence of a complex phenomenon developing on every side and representing a great treasure for the Christian church and for their dialogue with other religions. The clarification I mentioned earlier is thus not limited to Latin American context, but affects a process and a search that is being conducted on a very broad front today. These considerations should not make us forget, however, that we are not dealing solely here with an intellectual pursuit. Behind liberation theology are Christian communities, religious groups, and peoples who are becoming increasingly conscious that the oppression and neglect from which they suffer are incompatible with their faith in Jesus Christ, or speaking more generally, with their religious faith. These concrete, real-life movements are what give this theology its distinctive character. In liberation theology, faith and life are inseparable. This unity accounts for its prophetic vigor and its potentialities. Womanist scholar and theologian Jacqueline Grant, she comments on this as well. She writes, theology as developed in Europe and America is limited when it approaches the, when it approaches the majority of human beings. Liberation theologies, including Christian feminists, charge that the experience out of which Christian theology has emerged is not universal experience, but the experience of the dominant culture. Liberationists therefore propose that theology must emerge out of a particular experience of the oppressed peoples of God. In other words, what she's saying is that the majority
majority of traditional Christian theology and Christian thinking has emerged out of a, uh, the dominant, the insiders, um, the righteous. It's it's emerged out of the dominant uh, social location, um, uh, while Jesus, who is the the the, the center uh, uh, focus of of this religion, um, is supposedly he stood in solidarity with those who were in a totally different social location. What does Christianity look like when we look at it through the lens of the experiences of those on the margins, on the edges, um, to, to, to interpret the Jesus story and the Gospels even from their experience. So making space for these voices and, and attending to their insights is so very important. Here at Renewed Heart Ministries, we believe that the, the teachings of Jesus, remember a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee, we believe that those teachings uh, can still speak into and inform uh, our work of survival, of resistance, of liberation and reparation and, and transformation today. And for those that, 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 for those teachings to be life-giving, uh, we must consider those teachings through the lens of the experiences of the people that Jesus would have been addressing if he were walking among us today. As, as Ched Meyer states in, in his book, Binding the Strongman, the fact remains that those on the peripheries will have have eyes to see many things that those at the center do not. And, and from the experience of those now in a social location similar to the social location of those that Jesus taught, we can see how those teachings help us in our work of making our world a safe, just, and compassionate home for everyone. And as someone who's been engaged in ministry for over 20 years now, these perspectives, the perspectives of those on the margins, uh, the, their voices, their stories of, of people that are fighting to reclaim their humanity in the context of their faith traditions, these have been a key in helping me rediscover and reclaim my own humanity as well. And, and I resonate deeply with the words of, of Aboriginal elder uh, Lilla Watson when she wrote, if you've come to help me, please go home. But if you've come because your liberation is somehow bound up with mine, then we may work together. And, and, and I don't work alongside communities that are working for survival and liberation out of charity. It's beside them that I rediscover my own humanity too. That's what these liberation perspectives have given to me. And if if you're new to these perspectives, you might be wondering, well, where do I start? If I wanna if I wanna take advantage of some of these, where where do I begin? And one place is to begin. One place to begin is is by exposing yourself to the writings and the works of those who who belong to these communities. And an easy way to do this is by following our yearly reading course here at Renewed Heart Ministries. We announce each month a, a book at the beginning of each month, and you can sign up to be to be notified of uh, each month's book. And, and I'll put a link to where you can sign up for that in this week's e-site too. But the point is not so much even where one begins. It's just that you simply begin. One resource will lead you to another, and over time, you'll see the difference that these voices make to you. Jesus did not call those who the status quo places first. Instead, according to Matthew 28 through 16, he stood alongside those that his culture relegated to the last place. And he came not calling the insiders, 
But those of the people, uh, those people specifically who those in power had labeled as as sinners. And what does it look like for, for us to do the same in our time? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call those whom you call righteous, but those you call sinners. Matthew 19 or Matthew 9, 13. Heart group application this week. I want you to pick a book from our, our book list here at Renewed Heart Ministries that you as a group can read and discuss together. And then number two, I want you to read a chapter a week and determine a time each week that that your group can meet together uh, to discuss what you've read. And then number three, remember to discuss also how you can put what you've read each week into practice and, and do so. I'm so glad you checked in with us this week. Wherever you are today, keep living in love, in survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. Remember, another world is possible. If you'd like to support this podcast and help us grow, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.